Good morning. I'm glad to see all you guys. There's bright and smiley faces here this morning. I know there's other things that you guys could choose to do on a beautiful morning like this, and you choose to come and worship with us. All right. I know it's it's tough probably to get up and get only one more a few days off to come and join. And I'm so thankful that you do on this Sunday. Um, so I want to tell you guys a little story as we get ready to start. So we've been talking about a series about giving up. Let's see if I can move where it's not a problem. Let's see, is that better? All right. A little bit, maybe not. Let me see if we can get that fixed. Because I can't do that. Let me see if one of these other microphones will work for a little bit better. All right, is that better? Yeah. If this will work for me. Are we still on? All right. All right, we have completely lost, so. <laughs> so we'll do something different. I'll move into the middle, and everybody can kind of listen that way. I'll talk as loud as I can. Um. So I'll tell you guys a story about a, a man named Eric Little. All right, who's seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Has anybody seen that? Okay, it's a movie about a man who in 1924 was a British sprinter. He was considered the best in the world at the 100 meters. Right? So we call that the fastest man alive is what they call it today. And so he was considered this in 1924. And so as they were getting ready to go to the Olympics, he won his qualifying events. He was set to go to the Olympics. But then he found out that the finals in the Olympics was going to be held on a Sunday. He was a man of deep, of deep religious conviction and believed that Sunday was a day of rest, not a day of working. So he, so he pulled out of the Olympics. He said, I can't do this because it's against my religion to do so. To, to go and run on this day would be breaking my, my covenant with God. And so you just imagine how the people in England felt. He was their one chance to win a gold medal in the Olympics. The people ridiculed him. The papers went after him and told him how horrible a person was, how he didn't care about his country. And they, they thought so little, little of him now. So he went from being a hero to being persecuted for his belief. So then afterwards, he, a little while later, he had the opportunity. So a little while later, he had the opportunity then to run the 400 meter. Found out that it wasn't on Sunday, so he was able to go run that. So he had two months to train. So two months he trained to go from running a 100 meter to 400 meter. That's a big difference. To go four times as long. But he took up the opportunity, trained hard for it. Nobody, even himself, thought he had a chance to win the race. Because in the, in the final heat, there was two other guys that had previously set the world record for the 400 meter. So he thought, I have no chance at doing this. Before the race, the trainer gave him a note that said, who, he who honors him, will honor, he will honor. Right? The note basically said, he who honors God, God will honor back. Right? Eric had honored God by saying, I'm not going to do this because this is what God's... God wants me to do. 
And so race starts. He takes off. He's in the worst lane. He's on the outside lane. Can't see where everybody's at. And at the point when he's running around the circle, he, when people are supposed to be starting to come into view and they're supposed to be coming over his left shoulder, eye and he's supposed to see people, nobody's there. He managed to finish the race and not only finish it and win it, but he set the world record while doing so in a race that nobody thought he had a chance to win. So he goes home. He was welcomed as a hero once again, right? So he went from hero to scapegoat back to hero. And so at this point, he has the opportunity, like a lot of Olympic winners do, is they can go out and they can make money based off their name. Right? He can continue running. He can continue doing all this stuff, doing advertisements, and make money. So what does he do? He goes home, and he announces that he's going to retire and become a missionary to China. So again, he gives up all that was there, all the popularity, all the good things that were there to go to China and become a missionary. Now in the 1924s, I don't know if you guys are... No, no, what happened was in the 1920s, what was going on, there was a little thing called World War I that was fixing to brew up, right? And so in China, it was really bad. There was other wars going on over there. And so a missionary in China at the time, people who spoke about God were not treated very well. They were shot on sight. And so he goes over there and they ask if he's willing to go to the hardest spot. And he said, yes, I will go. And so here he is riding a bicycle through the mountains, people shooting at him left and right. He gets captured. He gets in prison, gets beaten while he's in prison. Right, just goes through a lot of tough things while he's serving God in this time. Remember what he could have done rather than honoring God. Twice he made the choice to give up extreme popularity in his home country, a time of safety when nobody was going to mess with him. Where he was going to be welcomed everywhere he went and be happy. And everybody was going to love him to serve God in a tough place, in a difficult circumstance. And so as we go more into this, today's Palm Sunday. A day we celebrate Jesus entering into Jerusalem. So let's go to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. It says, When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus was then sent two disciples telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say that the Lord needs them, and immediately he will send them. This took place so that there was, there was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foil of beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their robes on them. He sat on them. A very large crowd spread their robes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees, spreading them on the road. And the crowds went ahead of him, and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. He who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, saying, Who is this? 
And the crowds kept saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. I'm going to pause there for a second. Think about what's going on. Jesus is coming. They're waiting for a Messiah to come into the city. They've heard about this for hundreds and hundreds of years. A Messiah coming to take them away from, what's, from their current situation. They were being occupied by, by the Romans. Right? They had no control in their own city. So much so that the, the Romans had taken and put around the temple. They had put, they had put soldiers around so they could see what was happening in the temple. And they could know when there was going to be an uprising or when the people were worshiping too much. They took the, the holy robes and they kept them locked up in a closet that they could only get out on certain days. And if they weren't behaving, they weren't allowed to have the holy robes. They were being persecuted from every way by the Romans. The Romans were in control of their area. And so they were looking back all the way back to Egypt and saying, Jesus, God took them out of Egypt, out of the hand of the oppression of the Egyptians. And they were waiting for somebody to take them out from under the hand of the Romans. So as Jesus was coming in, they were, he came in like Solomon did with King David to take control. Not on, the, not on a horse of war, but on a donkey in peace. And so just imagine what they were thinking as he's coming in. They're, they're saying, Hosanna, save us, protect us, get us out of this area. They're laying their robes down, they're cutting branches down, giving the treatment of a new coming king into the city. And their expectation was that he was going to go to the Roman armies. He was going to go to the, to the Romans and kick them out. He was going to go start war and they were ready to fight with him. They were ready for the change. They were ready for a regime change in the area, the overthrow of the Romans to get rid of them. But then we see in verse 12, he, he makes a little bit of a change on them. It says, Jesus went to the temple complex and drove out all those and selling in the temple. He overturned the money changers, tables, and the chairs of those selling doves. And he's called to them, it is written, my house will be called the house of prayer but you are making it against thieves. Jesus surprised him. He didn't go to the Romans. He went to them. He went to the religious area where they thought they were doing the right thing. He said, you guys are the problem. You've taken my temple and you've used it for your own good. So they had to, people then, they had to go exchange money because they couldn't use the Roman money in the temple because it was not godly, right? So they had to get changed over. So what they were doing was they were charging a high fee to change it over and ripping people off and taking away and not helping the people who needed help. There was nothing wrong with them being there per se other than they were mistreating the people who had to come with no other choice. So Jesus walked into the temple and said, this is what's wrong. This is supposed to be a house of prayer, a house where, where God's at and you guys are using it as a den of thieves. You're stealing. You're taking away from people. You don't care. And so as he tear it down, he wasn't looking at the occupation of Rome because he saw there was a bigger problem in their lives. Yeah, the Romans were a problem. 
But if we look back all the way to Adam and Eve, we dealt with a much, much larger problem of sin. Right? Sin has more control over us than the Romans ever will. See, we, we, they lived in a world where they, they thought the government was the issue, but the reality of it was it was their hearts away from God. And I think at times that, that we as Christians and as followers of Christ, we get there. Or we look at, if only the government would do this, if only the government would do that, it would solve our problems. It won't. Now, as long as our hearts aren't following God, as long as, as we have a den of thieves in our heart and not a house of prayer, the problems won't change in this world. See, we too have this sinful problem they had. Right? Jesus, in his last moments, this last week, he spoke with, with great bluntness to the religious leaders and who they were and what was going on. He was very blunt. He, he didn't really hold back when he was talking to them because he knew there was a time that truth needed to be said during this week because people needed to know where they stood before God. He didn't care about being popular. He didn't care about being the upcoming king. Right? He could have stopped when he was walking in and said, yo, I'm going to take the Romans out. I will be the earthly king for these people. But he said, that's not what God wants. He gave all that up, all the possibilities of it, in order to honor God and to do what God called him to do. Oh, but you guys, I am so thankful that he did. He knew his time was short and the people needed to hear the truth that was set before them. Who here needs to know that truth? Deep in your heart. That it's not about being the most popular person in the room. It's not about having lots of fame and fortune and money. But it's about being humble and bowing our hearts before God and saying, God, you are in control of everything in my life. Even if it means being persecuted. Even if it means people not liking you. Even if it means hard times, low finances, I'm still willing to follow you, God. And I can trust you to take care of me. See, that's all God wants. He wants us to just say, God, you're in control. You know, and in that, some people may end up rich because that's where God wants them at. Others may end up super poor because that's where God wants them at. Right? Some may be in good life and bad life because God has plans for all of us and a message that he can use through us. But we have to honor him and obey him in every step. See, next week we're going to go in. If you guys don't know the the upcoming story at the end of the week, where we go to. Uh, We're going to see where this ultimately leads. This truth that Jesus says is not welcomed by the religious leaders of the day. As he tells the truth and he tells them where they stand before God, that they are not part of God's kingdom because they're not from God. It ends up costing him his life, his freedom. And he knows that's coming as he's speaking the truth. But he's willing to do so because he loves us.
He loved me. He knew that I can't do it on my own, that my sin is so much that I can't do it. I can't take care of it. I can't repay what I owe God. He had a plan to give us salvation. See, they would shout, Hosanna, save us, but for the wrong reason. They were say, saying, save us from these earthly people. Jesus is saying, nope, I'm going to save you from something much worse. The wrong you've done, God. The choices you've made. You need me to save from that more than you need the world around you. You need salvation from your sins. So as we get ready to move into a time of uh, communion, I want you guys to think about the sins in your life. Things that you've done wrong. Right? Not the things that the world around us is bad. Right? We can all watch the nightly news and realize the world around us is a, is a horrible place. Right? We can all look at things and go, well, at least I'm not that person. At least I didn't do this. At least I didn't do that. But let's not look outwardly, outwardly at what the sins are. But let's look inward at where our sins are. Where have we strayed from God this week? Where have we turned our lives away from what God's calling us to do? You know, I do counselings with soldiers, and, and there's a lot, of, a lot of soldiers who struggle as they came into basic and they come into AIT. Right? They've lost their walk with God. They quit spending time. They quit reading their Bible. They quit praying. They quit reaching out. And what I've, what I've noticed with all those soldiers is they start struggling mentally and physically while they're here because they're not walking with God. They've lost their way. They've lost their reason for going forward because of the joy of Christ. Where are you straying in your life right now? What is holding you back from making your heart a house of prayer and not the den of thieves? Where are you pushing against God? So as we get ready to look at communion, think about those as we set it up. Let, let, me, let me close with some prayer here real quick and we'll make a transition. Heavenly Father, we just thank you.